We're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 46 and 47 this morning. So um, if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open up to that section of Genesis. Uh, the passage is printed in the worship guide. There are also Bibles in the Purex. Genesis 46, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to look at verses 28 through 34, and then the first 12 verses of chapter 47. Quick recap of where we've been and what has brought us to this chapter. Uh, We've been following with uh, Joseph. Back in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers, And from there, things went downhill. Um, He experienced uh, injustices and ended up either, both times in positions of influence, though. And we saw how he used this influence for good. Uh, He was a blessing to those around him. He's in Egypt at this point. And then we see um, his brothers come to Egypt because Joseph has devised this plan. He had a told Pharaoh, interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, told Pharaoh that a famine was going to be coming. And so Joseph devised this plan of storing up food um, for the years preceding the famine. So when the famine hit, they would have all this stored up food, and the people would flock to uh, Egypt to to get food. The plan worked uh, to perfection, and Joseph found himself in a place of prominence, basically acting as a governor Um, almost on the same level as Pharaoh in Egypt. And his brothers come to um, Egypt to get food. And Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And so we go through um, the the series of events where they end up going back, returning. Um, It led us to last week. Obviously, there's a lot in between there. If you haven't been with us, I would encourage you to read these chapters because there's all kinds of good stuff here. And just for dramatic purposes, um, it's a great story. Um, But last week, we finally reached the moment where Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers. And it was a powerfully emotional scene in which they were reunited. And in our chapter this morning, the first chapter we're going to look at, um, we're going to see that Joseph is finally reunited with his father, Jacob. in Egypt. So let me uh, read the verses we're going to be looking at uh, together. And remember that Israel is the same thing as Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, all that he had, all that he had, and came to Bathsheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. We're now going to skip down to verse 28. 
He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth. Even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherd as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Let's pray now and ask God by the Holy Spirit to come and be with us as he promises. Father, we look to you now. We pray that you would dwell with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Point us to Jesus, even in this Old Testament passage of Scripture. We pray that you would reveal truth to us wherever we find ourselves believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. We trust that you are able to come and find us because you know us so well as our creator and redeemer. Apply the word to our lives so that we might be changed. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Yesterday morning, I left my house just to drive over here, Um, so maybe a two-minute drive, not very long. But uh, Sports Talk Radio was... um, on the radio. That's my go-to. That's basically the only thing that I listen to when I'm in the car. And I don't even know who was being interviewed. I wasn't sure of the context when I got into the car. 
Um, but what they were talking about was the success of the University of Alabama's football program. And they were talking about how the success of the football program has caused enrollment to skyrocket, particularly over the time span in which Nick Saban, the head coach, has been there. Um, the, the one guy who was speaking, again, I, don't, I didn't know the context, I didn't know who was talking. Um, the one guy who was being uh, interviewed uh, lived in the Charlotte area and was talking about how the high school that his daughter is going to hopefully go to in Charlotte, um, as he, they talked to admissions counselors there and just asked, you know, where is it that um, most of the students are looking to go or asking questions about? And the answer was the University of Alabama. And a lot of it was simply because of the success of the football program has made the school more popular. But at one point, this guy who was being interviewed, he summarized it um, like this in terms of talking about why is it that they would flock to the University of Alabama simply because of the football program. And his answer was this, they want to be part of something bigger. As soon as I heard that, I thought, now that is sermon material. I'm going to use that tomorrow morning. They want to be part of something bigger. It's true, isn't it? True for all of us. I, I know that I can relate to this in the realm of sports. You've heard me talk about uh, illustrations like this before. Um, with the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, I say things like, we did it. We won the game. I had nothing to contribute to the game, but I still say we did it because I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Can you relate? Whether it's in the realm of sports or in some other realm, deep down inside in this life, we want to be a part of something bigger. This is actually what God invites his people into, something bigger than themselves. We keep seeing this time and time again throughout this first book of the Bible. This First book of the Bible, Genesis, it means beginnings, origins. The stage is being set for the rest of the biblical story. In other words, the stage is being set for the rest of history. And what we learn early on is that there is this big story at play, beginning with the main character, in the beginning God. It was probably three years ago now that we looked at Genesis chapter 1. But all along... God is inviting his people into this bigger story, particularly beginning with Abraham in chapter uh, 12, because at this point, the fall of the human race has happened. Um, sin and all of its effects have crept into the world, and it's, the world is in a downward spiral. We get to Genesis chapter 12, and God calls this guy Abraham. He chooses Abraham and says, from you, I'm going to make a family of people. And the point of you, this nation that I'm going to create, is going to be to bless the nations around you. In other words, Abram, here's the bigger story that you're a part of. And from that point on, the rest of this family that's, that stems from Abraham is being invited and reminded of these promises that God has given them and this invitation to step into the bigger story. But a theme that goes along with this throughout Genesis and the whole of the Bible is that if we are going to lean into this bigger story, we have to do so with God's presence. And so the main idea of our passage this morning is that God goes wherever his people go. God goes wherever his people go. I want to first talk about go as God's people, what it means to go. And we're going to talk about this in 
more than one way. So I just want to throw that out there so you're not confused. Um, Jacob, at the beginning of our passage, he travels south to, the, to Beersheba, where his father Isaac and grandfather Abraham had lived for a time. He's traveling there, as you know from the context by now, because they're going to Egypt. Jacob has been told that his son Joseph is actually alive, has been alive all of these 20 years, um, and he is able to provide for them in Egypt. This is good news because the famine is severe, as we know. And so the brothers who had already um, visited Egypt, they knew about um, Joseph. They were reunited with him in the last chapter. They had returned, told Jacob that we need to go back. Joseph is there. He's going to provide. And so Jacob sets out on this journey to go to Egypt. Now, there are a few things to point out about this because right away, early on in our passage, if you look in the beginning of chapter 46, Joseph, uh, Jacob has this encounter with God, and God speaks to him in visions of the night, and he says, first of all, he calls him by his personal name, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob says, here I am, and God says, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. So we find, we learn this, this interesting detail. Apparently, Jacob was afraid. He was afraid to go to Egypt. That's the only reason that God would tell him, don't be afraid. It's the first thing that he speaks to him. God knows what's going on inside of Jacob. He's afraid. And so God says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Why would Jacob be afraid to go to Egypt? The reason is, is because things never went well when his ancestors, family members, had gone down to Egypt. It was always bad news when any of, um, previously in the book of Genesis, any of God's people had gone down to Egypt. It never ended well. In fact, in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac is prevented, he's prohibited by God from going down to Egypt. Um, Genesis chapter 12, we have this crazy scene where Abraham um, goes to Egypt and um, he pretends that Sarah, his wife, is actually his sister and it creates this ripple effect of all these undesirable um, circumstances. And so we understand now why Jacob was maybe reluctant to go to Egypt because he knows when my people go to Egypt, it never turns out well. So he's afraid and probably confused. All right, what is going on here? The other factor here is that God has promised his people land. And they were in the land of Canaan where they were supposed to be. So imagine Jacob um, wrestling with this, reflecting on the promises of God that always included the land. And now he's thinking to himself, wait, now you're sending us away from the land? But I have no choice because the famine is severe. If we're going to survive this, I have to go. But God, this is so confusing. And so God comes to him, Jacob, do not be afraid. I wonder where we are afraid to go. Now, there, there could be physical places, physical locations, um, but maybe it's not a place or a location for you. Um, maybe it's um, an inward journey. You're, you're afraid to go there, um, to do self-examination. Maybe it's in a relationship with another person um, that you're afraid to go there, maybe in terms of hard conversations that, that need to happen. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know what it is for you, but what, where is it that you are afraid to go? Maybe God is calling you to something else and something new, and you're afraid to go. Well, Jacob was afraid to go. He was reluctant, but God came to him, and notice what God specifically does. Not only does he say, don't be afraid, but notice what he says beyond that. Go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Now, Jacob, this would, um, this would catch his ear, because now he's talking covenantal promises. And what I mean by that is that God had entered into a covenant with his people Israel. And by that word covenant, we just mean a special relationship by which God had bound himself to his people. And he had made promises to them and called them to be faithful in light of the promises that God had made to them. And this was one of those promises. Remember, going back to Genesis 12 with Abraham, I will make you a great nation. So Jacob, afraid to go to Egypt, one of the reasons being, I wonder if I'm being unfaithful. I wonder if the promises will be lost if I leave the land. But God starts to speak that covenantal language to Jacob. Go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid. Go there. But I will make you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is exactly what Jacob needed to hear. He needed to be reassured of God's presence and God's promises. And that's what we need to be reassured of in those times of life when we are afraid to go. We need to be assured that God is with us and that his promises are, are, are true, that they are real. I want to talk about this idea of sojourning because this is a theme not only in the book of Genesis, but in the remainder of the Bible, this theme of sojourning. Jacob, if, if you skip down now um, to um, later on in chapter 46, actually into to chapter 47, there's this interesting dialogue between Jacob and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks um, Jacob this really interesting question. It almost seems like it comes out of nowhere. Um, how old are you? Now, that's, you don't ask people. In our culture, you don't ask people that question, right? That's a bad idea. Um, you, you don't want to, to do that. But this culture was different. And it could be, we don't know exactly why that's the question that he asked him, but um, we do know that the Egyptians had this obsession, particularly with old age and with death, and so could have had something to do with that. But notice how Jacob responds to him. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. And then he goes on. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. I can almost imagine Pharaoh thinking, I didn't ask for all that. It almost sounds like he's complaining. The guy's a little bitter, right? He's being real. He's answering the question genuinely. He's adding detail. But it's interesting, all the days of my sojourning. And it seems that Jacob is in touch with this fact that he's never really been able to be settled. He's never really been able to be rooted. And we would say that that has been the case for his ancestors before him. 
on the one hand, they've had moments of security and rootedness, but on the other hand, they seem to always be moving around. Beginning with Abraham in, in chapter 12. What did, Abraham, what did God say to Abraham? Go. Back when we looked at that passage a long time ago, we talked about how in the original language, that's forceful language. God is saying, depart, get out of here now, go. It seems like it captures life in this world, doesn't it? Because we are home, but we are never home. Maybe you've um, lived in the same place your whole life. Maybe you're from this area, you've grown up here, and this feels like home. And so maybe when you travel and you've been away for a while, you have that feeling of, I can't wait to get back to home. And I know that uh, I feel that sometimes. But here's what happens. I get home. And then, you know, let's say it was from a vacation. Um, Vacation could be great. Um, It's getting near the end of vacation. I have that longing to get back home into the the rhythm of life. And I finally arrive there. And then, you know, within a few days, sometimes a few hours, it's, I want to go back on vacation, right? Has that ever happened to you? We are home, but we are never actually home. And I'm talking about this on a bigger level. We are never, uh, particularly as God's people, we are never really at home in this fallen world. And that really, I, I mean, some of this is just a difference in culture um, with these people migrating around back in the book of Genesis in ancient times. But part of it, too, is constantly rubbing up against the fallen world. Ultimately, Jacob and his family are going to Egypt because there's a severe famine. God tells him to not be afraid and to go, but the reality is, is that if Jacob doesn't go, he's probably going to die. So he's rubbing up against the fallen realities of life, as we do. It might not be what isn't for us a famine, but what are some of the things for us? Just think back to your past week. All of those reminders that you are not actually at home. That there's a sense in which we are always on the go. We can never really be comfortable. Um, We are rooted, but maybe we're not rooted because we're constantly rubbing up against life in a fallen world. Could be our own sin, the sin of others, or just simply the general effects of life in a fallen world. Um, but we're never truly rooted and at home. In other words, we're all sojourners. And as I mentioned, this is a theme that gets carried throughout Scripture. God um, wants his people throughout the biblical story to recognize their identity as sojourners. This is not our permanent home, life in this fallen world. This should change the way that we live our lives. This should influence how we make decisions. And it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard to seek comfort. Um, When I've, the first time I traveled to West Africa, I think it was, or maybe it was the, the last time I went. Um, Wayne may have been with me. Uh, I remember asking uh, Mamadou, a pastor in um, Senegal, um, from your perspective, he's traveled to the U.S., from your perspective, what is the greatest challenge for the church in the U.S.? And his answer was, came quick, comfort, comfort. Uh, it's too easy for the church in America to be too comfortable. Now, on the one hand, um, we can be, praise God that we maybe have freedoms that those in other countries don't have. But on the other hand, 
there are ways that, that prevents us or hinders us from really experiencing Jesus in ways that maybe we need to experience him. We're not meant to ever fully be comfortable. Now, here's the, the deal. Land is still important. Um, this promise that God is making to his people is not some abstract spiritual realm out there. God is going to continue his promise of land to his people. You know, he tells Jacob, even in this uh, promise that he makes to them, makes to him, that you will come back again. Now, that means multiple things that we're going to talk about as we finish off the book of Genesis in the remaining weeks. But even moving to the New Testament, we, we get these glimpses um, of God's promise, but we might not associate it with the promises that God made to Abraham, but it's exactly what it is, the Beatitudes. Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. Revelation 5, this picture of those who have been purchased um, by Jesus' blood of, from every nation, tribe, and tongue, they will rule over the earth. So here's the weird dynamic. This is our home. This earth on which we live is our permanent home, but it's not our permanent home in the sense that it's currently fallen and corrupted and defiled by sin. But God promises one day to make it new. That's ultimately the hope of the promise that we receive. But we live in between. You hear this every once in a while. Theologians refer to this as the already but not yet. We live in the in-between. And this is what Jacob is basically communicating to Pharaoh without using those words. Life has been hard for me. The years of my sojourning are 133. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. What do we make of this? Is Jacob being bitter? Well, there's no commentary provided for us in order to assess that. But I think there's a sense in which Jacob is being, I mean, he's, he is being truthful. There's something there for us that it's okay for us to be truthful about what life in a fallen world is like. Some of this Jacob has, a lot of it Jacob has brought on himself, as is the case for us. You know, it's a hard reality for us to face up to in our own lives and our stories, but some of the hard circumstances that we encounter, we've unfortunately brought about because of our actions. But that's not always the case. Um, take Joseph, for example. Joseph um, faced multiple injustices against him. But both are examples of life in a fallen world. And so we have to embrace this identity as God's people, as being sojourners. And, and I think that if we, the more we're able to do that, the more the Christian life is going to make sense for us. That we are at home, but we're not at home. And then there's this other sense of go. It's the sense that, you know, it's not just the sense of we are all going in the sense that none of us are ultimately rooted because we live in a fallen world. But there's also the sense in which God tells Abraham to go. And then how about the Great Commission? The end of the book of Matthew. Jesus um, has risen from the dead. He uh, is talking with his disciples and he gives them this mission. He says to go. Go into the world to make disciples of all nations. 
And in the original language there, it literally means, it literally reads, as you are going. And so we're now adding this other layer to it. As we are going, we are to go. Here's what I mean. As we are sojourning, as we are navigating life in a, in a world that can be so hard and difficult because of sin and its effects, we are to go in another sense as well. We are to make God and his promises in, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, known to those around us. This is the calling that God had given for his people. And that brings us to this idea that God goes to. So we go, but God goes to. And this is what God is reminding Jacob of before he goes down to Egypt. He tells him to go, but notice what he says. Again, back in the beginning of um, chapter 46 in verse 4. I myself will go down to you, with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. This might seem so obvious to us, especially if we're familiar with the Bible. Oh, yeah, this is a theme throughout Scripture, and it is. It's a major theme, God's presence with his people. Um, This is a a significant theme throughout the Old Testament with God um, tabernacling, tabernacling among his people. Um, with the idea of the temple, of the people coming to experience God's presence in a special way. And then we move to the New Testament. Why is Jesus referred to as Emmanuel, God with us, God's presence with his people? The end of the Bible, Revelation chapter uh, 21, talks about how God will will bring heaven down to earth, um, fulfilling ultimately his covenantal promises, and God will be with his people. He will dwell with them forever. This is a major theme of the Bible, God with us. But for the original readers of this book, it would have hit them even more powerfully. And we have to remember that. The purpose of the book of Genesis, um, you know, and even the Pentateuch as a whole, the first five books of the Bible, were to help God's people as they navigated life in a fallen world. Um, Particularly think about the Exodus, the the second book of the Bible. God delivers his people out of Egypt. So we're jumping way ahead in the events of what happens here. But God's people are in slavery in Egypt, and he delivers them out of there. And they, they haven't heard from God in lots of years, and they're wondering to themselves, who is this God? And so the book of Genesis in particular fills in the story for them. This is who God is. He is a God who is with his people. This was hugely different from the other gods of the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, uh, gods were often thought to rule over specific locales, um, very specific regions uh, of an area. But what is being talked about here, what God is saying to Jacob is that my presence isn't tied to Canaan. It's not tied to this particular land. You can go down to Egypt. I'm going there too. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever you go, I am. In fact, I go before you. And so now we start to receive God's promises. How do we go? Both in terms of sojourning in a fallen world, but also going on this mission that God has given to us in this fallen world. We go with God's presence. How does it 
hit you this morning that God goes wherever you go. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God is with you in the very hard place in which you find yourself now? Maybe it's a location. Maybe you don't like where you're living for a variety of reasons. Do you believe that God is with you there? Maybe it's more internal. Maybe you're really struggling uh, inside and you're even afraid of and ashamed of um, some of the things that you've thought or experienced. Do you believe that God is there with you? We read um, in the Confession of Sin, um, I don't have my worship guide with me, but I just thought of this. Isn't there a line about God not being tame or safe, something like that? That's, what this, that's one of the implications of this. God is not tame, like the fake gods of the ancient Near East or the gods that we might invent and follow. He can't be kept in a box. He is sovereign, and he is everywhere. And he goes with his people wherever they go. So this is revolutionary. Imagine Jacob taking this in. Wait, I I can go to Egypt, that place that has always been bad news, and you're going to be there with me? Like, we could still worship you there. We could experience your presence there. We can know and taste your promises there. Borders do not apply to Israel's God. And that's good news for Jacob, and it's good news for us. Now, look at this. Let's, um, let's now look at the beginning of chapter 47. So you get this um, weird genealogy. It's not weird, but um, it's one of these places where it's like, what do we do, do with this in the Scripture reading and in the sermon? I chose to um, skip over just simply reading names, um, but it does have a purpose, and the purpose is to help us to see that everybody came with Jacob. All of his family, all of his possessions, they were all going to Egypt. And then there's this powerful scene, it's at the end of of 46, um, where Jacob and Joseph are reunited. Remember, last week, at the end of chapter um, 45, we saw how Jacob was united with his brothers. But now father and son are reunited. Verse 29, picking up there. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. Try your best to imagine this moment. They've been separated for over 20 years. Joseph thought that his, Jacob thought that his son was dead. He went on with his life under that assumption. And we, we've seen over the last few weeks how Joseph is constantly worried and wondering, is, how's the well-being of my father? And I, I can't imagine what it was like for, I keep mixing up their names. Remember we talked about the Jays last week? I can't imagine what it was like for Jacob, when the brothers return and say, Dad, guess what? Joseph is alive, and he wants you to come to to Egypt. I mean, how do you even process that? How do you take all of that in? And on that journey, 
you know, he has all these mixed emotions, one of them being fear, as we talked about. He's fearful of going to Egypt, but could you imagine also what he's feeling in terms of, I'm going to see my son, the son that I have missed with all of my heart, the son that I thought who was dead, and now we have this moment where they are reunited, another powerfully emotional scene. Now I want to point out another scene, going over to chapter 47, and then I'll make it clear why I'm pointing out these scenes and skipping around. Joseph wants to make sure that his father um, and family are taken care of. And so he prepares his father and brothers for a conversation with Pharaoh. He wants them to be honest with them. And there's this fact that um, shepherds were not highly thought of in Egypt. And so They're hoping that they'll get land um, right outside of Egypt, but at least good land that they can work on and pasture. But they're upfront about the uh, the identity and what they do, right? Verse 5, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Um, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. This keeps happening. Have you noticed um, in the Joseph narrative that God's people keep getting blessed? Now, there's a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty, a a lot of sadness, but every step of the way, God's people keep getting blessed. It's like you wouldn't expect this to be the response of Pharaoh, but it's probably the response of Pharaoh because of the favor that Joseph had already found with him. And so now Pharaoh is taking care of of Joseph's family. But how about those two places that we read where Jacob blesses Pharaoh? That still, even, I've been preparing to preach on this all week, but even as I read the scripture reading um, before we got into the sermon, it still caught me by surprise because you would, Pharaoh is the one in power in this situation. And so you might expect You know, the hope is that he would bless Jacob. But even before Pharaoh gets a chance, we're told that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And then at the end, leaving his presence, he blesses him again. There's something that Jacob understands about the identity of God's people. Remember Genesis chapter 12? I will make of you a great nation, and you will be a blessing to the nations. Let's tie all of this together. Why are we jumping around scene from scene? Because we have different kinds of scenes here that bring out different kinds of emotions. We have the powerfully intense scene of father and brother coming together again. We have the scene where uh, Joseph is encouraging his father and brothers to be honest about their occupation and ordinary, everyday for them, occupation of being shepherds. Nothing fancy, uh, nothing special about that. In fact, as we saw, it's detestable to the people of Egypt. And then there's this scene of, of, of blessing, of Jacob blessing Pharaoh. And then ultimately with Pharaoh blessing Jacob in granting Jacob and his family land to live in and to take care of. These scenes are all examples of sojourning a variety of scenes of life, a variety of of emotions that are felt in life, but it's all part of sojourning through life. There's sadness. There's joy. Um, You know, 
as the father and son come together. There's joy. There's fear. We talked about the emotion of fear. We experience all of these things under the sun. This is part of sojourning through life. We need, part of being wise in navigating God's world is to expect this. Now, that might seem obvious, but maybe this will help you. I think sometimes when I get myself into trouble as far as relating to God and trying to figure out what in the world he's doing in my life is that I'm surprised by certain things that happen. And sometimes it could be that things are going well and I feel like I'm really close to Jesus and then something hard happens. Intense suffering comes into my life and I'm wondering, how does this connect to the fact that we were doing really well together, Jesus? Is this a form of punishment? What, what, all of these natural questions that arise, but at the, the root issue is that I've been living expecting something else, but the Bible presents us with a world in which all of these things happen. We should expect good and evil. We should expect suffering and joy. And so part of living wisely as one who follows God in this world is to be mindful of these things and so that we're not completely surprised or taken off guard as they enter into our lives. This is part of wisdom. But it also prepares us to suffer well. We struggle with suffering. I already alluded to this, particularly in the American church. We don't know how to suffer well. I referred to an article last week that appeared in the New York Times um, that one of my seminary professors um, had actually posted, that's how I found out about it, about um, African Americans leaving the white evangelical church. And my seminary professor, uh, Anthony Bradley, among um, several um, things that he said about this article, one of the reasons um, that he said accounts for this is that any church lacking a robust theology of suffering and a Christology of victory over all the implications of the fall in the preaching and music won't keep African Americans. That surprised me. I mean, that's not the only reason, but I think as white evangelicals in this country, we can learn a lot from our African American brothers and sisters on how to suffer well in Jesus' name. I mean, that's the go-to. If you want to become a person who can grow closer to Jesus, more like Jesus in your suffering, that's the go-to. Those are the brothers and sisters that we should be looking up to, including our brothers and sisters in other places of the world. When I um, go over to West Africa, I go over there to teach and train pastors. But I I guess maybe I bless them, but I come back really blessed, feeling like I'm closer to Jesus and I have more of an understanding of what the church is really supposed to look like in this world. And so we need a theology of suffering. And I think that's what we get a little bit from Jacob. The days of my life have been few and evil. Oh, he's being too bitter. But maybe he's not. Maybe he's being honest and realistic. So where does this leave us? It leaves us with God's presence. The point of the Bible, the point of this passage, is to point us to God and his presence in our lives. We can't just manufacture wisdom on our own. We can't just prepare for suffering, for everything that we'll encounter under the sun on our own. 
We need to lean into God and his promises. We need to depend on his presence and spirit as we live life. This really is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means to orient your life around God and who he is. Israel's God knows no borders. Even in the most intense moments of our suffering, God is with us. Joseph knows this, doesn't he? Not Jacob, now talking about Joseph. Joseph knows this. And this is the amazing thing. In some of those scenes where he is sitting alone because of the injustice toward him, says that God was with him. And Emmanuel, Jesus, is with us in our suffering. Just like God the Father was with Jesus in his moments of suffering. Jesus cried out, please take this cup from me. I don't want to have to go this route if there's another way, but I know there's not another way, so he embraces it. But he suffers, and he's suffering on our behalf, in our place. Not just when he goes to the cross, but in his passion. He's taking on all of the suffering, all of our sufferings upon himself, including our sin. He is God with us. Even in those dark places, even in those intense moments of suffering, God is with us. And he proved it to us by going to the cross. And this is really, at the end of the day, why the Christian faith provides us with such rich resources for navigating, for going in both senses in this world. We go in the sense that we're sojourners in a fallen world, but even as we're sojourning through this world, we go as representatives of God to be his display people, making Jesus known to the world. And from that, we receive a power that can't be found anywhere else. And as an example of this, I want to close out the sermon with um, talking about St. Patrick. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. Um, St. Patrick actually is a real person, um, and he was actually a Christian missionary. It's possible you didn't even know that. But Patrick was a man who knew suffering. As a teenager, he was sold into slavery. Sounds similar, parallels um, to Joseph, right? Sold into slavery. That's how he ended up in Ireland. And at a certain point, he um, is able to, he has these visions that God is calling him to, to have theological training. And so he goes back um, into Europe and he gets his theological training. And then he receives more visions from God that are telling him to go back to Ireland to plant churches and make Jesus known there. And so as he's sojourning through his life, experiencing suffering and hardship, all the way he's making Jesus known. And he knew that Jesus was with him. Maybe you've heard this before, but I'll close with it. Um, It supposedly comes from St. Patrick's breastplate. Christ be with me, Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. God goes wherever we go in the person of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us how to live in this world. This world that can be so complex and confusing. This world in which we experience a full range of emotion. 
We pray that you would make us wise, that you would build our character, but ultimately we pray that you would help us to know your presence and to see your presence at work in our lives. Shape us into a people that go to those in our, worlds around, in our world around us. Give us the courage and the strength to make Jesus known, um, even in our suffering. I pray that you would prove to be sufficient, that you would show yourself to be enough for us. We thank you for suffering, as hard as it is to say that, that in suffering, we get to be more like Christ. I pray that we would cherish that, that we would treasure it, and that too would change the way that we view life in this world. Holy Spirit, you are able to do these things in our lives, even though they seem so incredibly hard. Um, We could never bring about these changes ourselves, but you can, so we look to you, we trust you, and we anticipate you doing it for your glory. Amen.